0: Hello and welcome to Inside Indiref. It's brought to you by Message Matters and hosted by me, Peter Duncan,
1: And me, Andy McKeever, and we're going to be in coffee shops and cafes throughout Scotland with a laptop, a microphone, a 15-minute egg timer and a key referendum campaigner. You'll find us on Twitter at InsideIndiref and of course on messagematters.co.uk. So let's go to this week's podcast. Hello and welcome everybody to our latest podcast. I think if I can count properly it is podcast number 10. think it's podcast number 10. Uh, And we're here in Edinburgh this morning, just in the shadow of the Scottish Parliament with Kezia Dugdale, MSP, Shadow Cabinet Secretary for Education uh, and Young People and Lifelong Learning and whatever they call it these days. (laughs) We'll just call it education. Um, And regular on our screens during uh, independence referendum uh, debates. Um, Speaking of debates, we are just uh, finished with the second of the two um, leader, I call, call them leaders' debates, because I suppose they officially are leaders' debates. Um, you know, forgetting about the substance of some of Alex Salmon's answers, which obviously we could debate, it was a more stylish and slicker performance from him than had been the case in the previous campaign. Do you think they've broadly evened themselves out over the two debates?
2: Yeah, I, mean, I think it's fair to go for a score draw, and without doubt, Alex Salmond... Um, Performed very well on Monday night, and it, and it was a performance. I think yeah. there was a lot of work that had gone into the, the preparation for that. Bluntly, though, all he had to do to go out and have a better night than the time before was not mention pandas and aliens. <laughs> so he was in quite a strong uh, starting point, but it, it was a performance. How far it went to persuading people, the actual business that we're in with 20 odd days to go, I'm not so sure.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably true. I mean, the postal votes obviously went out that, that day. Um, is there any kind of concern that Salmon's good night happened the night before the votes went out?
2: I think that's really interesting. I don't know how much these TV debates actually influence where the cross in a box goes. I think they feed into the mood music around a campaign and this idea of who has momentum and, and, and when that momentum matters. I've been phoning postal voters this morning. Uh, actually, ahead of the postal votes it's actually dropping. I think the posties are having a line in Edinburgh <laughs> this morning. But um, the, the few undecided voters that I was targeting this morning um, were breaking to no. I don't profess for a second to make that a statistical analysis of what's happening. But I think there's a lot more factors than a TV debate on a Monday night when yeah. people are watching the football. I mean, I mean, obviously,
0: you, you're, you're doing a lot of door-knocking. Um, um, all over the Libyans and um, in Edinburgh. You know, wh- how important is your assessment that that person who answers the door for the day or the week after a TV debate? You know, is that dominating the conversation? Oh, I saw Simon last night. He did pretty well. Or, or is it not something actually the public are that clued into?
2: Well, I mean, I, did, I certainly did a lot of door knocking after the STV debate. And it yeah. was very much on people's minds. And it was quite helpful icebreaker actually, because you're knocking yeah. on a door, you've got the strange person, the that other that side of it. That awkward silence. <laughs> that awkward silence when they open the door and go, oh, what do they want to sell me? It's like, oh, did you see the debate last night? And people had largely seen it. And I think yeah. the audience was, what, 2.7 it million? Was, uh, or 1.7
1: altogether. Yeah. 1.7 altogether. Yeah, on the STV one. I don't yeah. know what the BBC one is yet. The numbers are out.
2: Right. It, it was around about 900,000 is what I saw this morning. A much right. wider UK audience okay. but in Scotland. So you, you've got twice, maybe three times as many people watching the TV debate, and it was in their papers the next year and it was a yeah. talk at the school canteen or whatever else. So, people were talking about it, but I don't think it's that decisive when it comes to voting intentions. People, I think, are largely selfish when it comes to voting. They want to know what this means about uh, for themselves and for their family, and that drives the decision-making process, rather than what is basically a bit of entertainment on the TV. Hmm. Yeah.
1: I mean, I... If you- I, use, I broadly use my Twitter feed for work and my Facebook feed for home, yeah, me broadly too. speaking. <laughs> seems to be the way to do it these days. Um, not a single person on my Facebook feed, whatever side of the debate they come from, enjoyed either of them. They thought they were just shouting matches. They thought they were a bit of an embarrassment, actually. Yeah. Is that fair? I mean, we're in the bubble, and it's quite entertaining, and we like to talk about it. But to other you know, we've talked a lot, for example, about how there might be 70 or 80% voting in this referendum, but is the way the referendum campaign's been conducted and these debates, is that actually bad news for longer term engagement? Is it just entrenching people's views about politicians? It's
2: a great question. I mean, I think the first TV debate was enjoyable cause, it was theatre, there was a sense of this is a big moment and a really, really big question. Um, for the second debate, I approached actually genuinely looking for an advancement on the issues a bit more detail. I find it so frustrating, because it was a shouting match, but then I'm not looking at it like an ordinary voter is. I'm in the political bubble, I absolutely know which way I'm voting. Can I look at it in the same way that somebody who's undecided is? Uh, I- I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure, but we have a massive issue with trust in politics at the moment, eh, particularly relationships between individuals and their elected members. Um, I'm not sure that a TV debate eh, either adds anything to that or fixes
0: it. What, what, what does it do though to, I mean, by all accounts we're going to have a high turnout in this in this uh, referendum, it's going to be you know, probably higher than any other election going back probably to 92, perhaps even higher than that. So this is going to be a very significant engagement in the way the public. The people who are answering those doors when you knock on them and first convince them that um, you're, you're not from the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, and you're, here, you're not there to collect money. Um, it, the people who are answering that door, uh, is it obvious those people who have not, who are thinking about the issue but haven't actually been engaged in the last few general elections or Scottish elections? Well
2: we know, um, as canvassers we know because of course. we've got the mark register on our show. But, so but I, I
0: suppose what I mean, can you tell from the, demean- from the way in which they engage in the debate? There something. Are they, are they sparked up about it whereas they haven't been sparked up on politics before?
2: There's certainly a great awareness of the issues uh, and a greater inclination to vote. I'm not as convinced as most people about turnout. I think it will be in the 70s, but I don't think it will be anywhere near the 80 mark. And I say that because I spend a lot of time um, in some of our traditional um, council estates, housing estates across Edinburgh and you know, I'm talk quite i I'm very interested in electoral reform and I talk quite a lot about participation in politics and every time I, I do talk about that I can picture a block of flats in South House of Edinburgh uh, in South House Square there's 24 flats in this kind of flat complex and the last time I was there uh, only 8 of those blocks were registered to vote and only 3 of them actually had now I've been there, back there quite recently and um, I wouldn't say that the appetite to engage in the referendum or to vote on it is any greater than it's been before. Yeah, a few more people are fired up and there's a political poster there in a way that there there hasn't been before, but I don't think for a second that you would get over 50% turnout in that flat complex. So this idea that the Radical Independence Convention and what they're doing is making huge swathes into these council estates, I take with a pinch of salt. And I, you know, actually, I used to work as a Labour Party organiser, and canvassing, and the, the tactics of elections fire me up in a way that. Um, it
0: oh dear. Very oh, few oh, people. oh
2: dear, how nerdy. And I remember seeing a, a radical independence convention graphic on Twitter and it said, you know, they had spoken, to, on the 6th of August, they'd spoken to 5,000 people in 40 different council states across the country with 500 uh, activists. See, when you work out the math of that, that's one canvasser speaking to nine people over a two-hour donor concession. That's not a huge amount. That's nowhere near what I would expect canvassers that work with me and my team to do. What you've got in that scenario is you've chapped a few doors, you find someone that agrees with you, and you've talked Marxist theory for half an hour. That's not massive uh, canvassing in the way that I think the other political parties are really engaging in.
0: Sounds like your canvass team, are working pretty hard. Uh,
2: yeah, they enjoy it, yeah. High
0: expectations. <laughs> There's no loitering no, no on doorsteps. Get the information <laughs> and move on.
2: I, I'm, I'm quite a com- competitive person. I respond well to targets. And since the Labour Party introduced a sort of league table of, of work that's getting done, um, we've upped the stakes somewhat in, in Edinburgh.
0: Can we move move on, there um, To um, I mean, a lot of this debate has been about rather than the power that would come with um, with independence although clearly all the powers will come with independence has been about the kind of policy um, policies that, that the two sides would see as being important and you know, obviously yes Scotland in particular has looked at issues whether it's whether it's trying to bedroom tax or welfare issues and so on which are not actually about the powers themselves it's about how, how those powers could be used you, you've, you've written recently about Particularly child child care and how that it couldn't be um, a a significant issue in this in this whole debate. Where do you think that if issue lies, as far as better together is concerned? Is it something where you are seeing an opportunity um, uh, to respond to what was in the early days? quite a high profile issue for you, Scotland, particularly at the time of releasing the white paper.
2: Well, oh, that's it, it was right at the forefront of the white yeah. paper and it was astonishing to see at the time an issue like childcare, which is entirely devolved to the Scottish Parliament put at the forefront of the case for independence and I was tempted to dismiss it, to call it out for, for what it is as cynicism, an appeal to address the Yes campaign's problem with women. They do have a a notable problem with women in their polling and the childcare policy is clearly linked to that. Mm -hmm. But I resisted that temptation because actually, talking about childcare is crucial, I think, regardless of the outcome of the referendum to making the case for a more progressive Scotland. Better childcare addresses gender inequality, it's key to child poverty, it's key to improving educational attainment, so we should be talking about it and I've said I'm committed to keeping that at the top of the political debate. You don't need independence to do it though. Yeah. And actually I thought what was so interesting was that they stopped talking about childcare and I haven't seen it in a leaflet for a wee while now. It means it was proven that they'd done no economic modelling whatsoever on the case that they put forward in their white paper.
0: And and, and, and so there's there's no economic monitoring on the recycling of money that's necessary to fund it?
2: Well, yeah. What Alex Hammond was trying to make out and say was that this policy would increase the number of women participating in the labour market and a 6% increase would be 100,000 more women going to work. The problem was that this policy was aimed at uh, kids that are 3 and 4 years old and some 2 years old. When you work out how many working mums there are in Scotland looking for work, there was only 64,000 women actually seeking work hmm. and their policy was based on 100,000 people going to work. And simple mistakes like that right at the forefront show that it's probably driven more by electoral tactics than it was of standard policy.
1: Well, I, I, you know, clearly they are the whole strategy behind the campaign from day one has been attracting a traditional left-wing vote because yep. they know that without that, especially in West Scotland, they simply can't win without that vote. But do you think, in principle, it is objectionable to have a referendum campaign which is so policy-based? You know, Isn't that the preserve of elections rather than of referendums? And shouldn't it just be about where power lies rather than what you're going to do with the power? Or do you think it's fair game to have policy as part of the campaign?
2: I think it's fair game to have policy in there, actually, because, for me, the thing I find frustrating about... Constitutional debate, full stop, is it is that discussion about where power lies rather than what it's for. So let me give you another example on welfare, one of the cases that the, the S-Scotland campaign are putting forward is that they, they want independence because they want to power over welfare. That speaks to left, um, left-wing left voters in Scotland about the bedroom tax, about the cap on welfare. But there's nothing in the white paper about how welfare would be improved and in an independent Scotland. There is no greater offer, there is no alternative, only the suggestion that it would be better. Now I think there's a falsehood there. If you're going to go out into the housing states and say to somebody, on disability benefits, vote yes because your benefits will be better. I think they're entitled to know how. It's not just the economics of how that tops up, how you can have tax cuts and improve welfare. It's literally what does that mean for that individual? What do you want that power for? What are you really materially going to do to improve that individual's life other than what they've done, which is just give false hope? Listen,
0: to to be hypothetical for a second, just... This all starts to speak to a potential narrative for a, a Labour Party um, a agenda running in running towards twenty sixteen when you're know, then if, if there's a no vote, which I'm sure you would suggest is um, is, is what you expect to happen, if there's a no vote, you're gonna have two parties which have set themselves up as being um, centre-left parties competing in the same space. How do you think childcare... Is is childcare one of the issues that you can use to differentiate yourselves from the Nationalists in that that campaign? Yes, and I'm committed to doing that.
2: And and the difference between what Labour... Has it been
0: missed in the past? Is it an issue where Labour have not been... been, Prominent enough in
2: the past. No, I think you'll find the Labour Party has been the only party that's really been advocating for increased childcare over decades. It was the women's movement, the labour's movement, movement, and the trade union movement that have been advocating the right to childcare for decades. It was the Labour government in 1999 that introduced a right to a nursery place for all three and four-year-olds. Yeah. I think Labour's record there is pretty much uh, impeccable in that regard. But the conversation needs to change because what we have now is a there's a baseline offer in childcare of 600 hours for every family in Scotland with a three- or four-year-old child. There's a point, I think, where you've got to get away from this retail exchange, who's got the best pledge card on, on hours, and actually look at the nuts and bolts of what that childcare offer is. So I meet mums all the time who have a right to a childcare place, but they can't take it up because the council nursery can only give it to them on a Monday and a Thursday, and they work Wednesdays and Saturdays. We need to have a much more innovative approach to how childcare is drawn down, who's providing it, the qualifications of the staff involved, the salaries that they get, so a career in childcare is something that's sustainable and something that's meaningful. We've missed all of that so far in our discussion about childcare because it's been a retail exchange about ours. Who can put the best thing in a one-liner in a pledge card and that lets families down? Just
1: a, before the last grain of sand dips out in our sand timer, if we go a bit broader than childcare, just to um, expand on Peter's question, post a novo the independence question is going to be off the table at least for a while. And the, the, for how long probably depends on how what percentage the S get. To be honest with you, yeah. but at least for a while it's got to be off the table. What's the dividing line between the SNP and Labour, when independence is off the table? Because from an outside perspective, it seems to me the parties, broadly speaking, believe in pretty much the same stuff. So where, where's the where's the Labour USP
2: mm-hmm.
1: in that situation?
2: That's a really good question. I think um, I think it depends very much on where the SNP go after the referendum because in many ways the only thing that unites them as a party is the independence question. You've got a party there with Fergus Ewing on the right and Bill Kidd on the left. Take the independence question out and what do these two guys still have in common? So the direction which the SNP takes would be really, really interesting. And they might
1: splinter, do you think, in that circumstance? Well,
2: I mean, I've heard that theory. Um, I, I couldn't profess to have enough knowledge about their internal workings to know where it's going, but there's no doubt that the SNPs objective in recent times is to try and out-labour Labour, with, with the objective of winning the independence referendum. When the referendum goes away, the SNP will have to redefine themselves. That's not a job for the Labour Party, we know very firmly where we are and what our offer is, and we're the ones actually that are trying to grapple with some of the big questions, like the fact that we have an aging population. <gasps> is that the time going out? It wasn't, but it's a good it It's specific, <laughs> a, good <notification, laughs> a good reminder. <laughs>
0: Kesia, thank you very much for your time. Pleasure. really, really appreciate it. Um, uh, it's been an interesting exchange. Um, we will uh, be back shortly with some analysis. to see you. Thank you. Okay, Kezia's left. We are uh, left to digest her contribution. I thought, I thought an interesting suggestion. Perhaps a bit of, um, dare I say it, suggest a bit of spin in as much as you know, clearly d- the debate... On um, on Monday night is going to have an effect on the campaign. I think it's I think it's I think it's not. It's difficult to believe that people are not going to be influenced by it. But overall, the suggestion that the two debates may well end up with being a score draw is probably not a bad shout. It sounds about right to
1: me. I think the only problem for Better Together is that you, you'd rather win the second one than the first one, probably because it's most fresh in people's minds especially with the Bosa votes going out. If, although I mean, the, if, if the if w- would
0: indicate that it hasn't changed
1: anybody's view of if it, I was better together
0: it. I would have lead to one debate because in, the, in, the, in effect the first debate was always going to be better for them than probably they expected and it was going to be poorer for salmon than we expected and I certainly wouldn't have agreed to an hour and a half of head to head you know exposed to salmon far, far too long they should, should have cut it Far right back but again the usual the usual stuff about it is the <coughs> most was the audience balanced or wasn't it balanced and um, uh, it, frankly in my view I mean, I know we disagreed on this in the first debate but I didn't think it was great telly I didn't think this was great telly either I have to say very formulaic and frighteningly li- live, across, live across the world I mean C-SPAN US covering it live and when you just stand back on these things turn the sound down and just take in the visual of how it looks wasn't a great spectacle.
1: I think, I think everybody now is just looking forward to when Scottish politics can move on in one way or another. We're looking yeah. forward to be over for Yes. I mean, she, uh, Kezia, is a really quality person, and I think what Scottish politics is going to need afterwards is some quality people. Especially the Labour Party in Scotland. They need good people. And she is one. And she's... Certainly one, yeah, yeah. certainly one. Interesting what she thought, um, she kind of considered the policy basis of the campaigns to be fair game. So Labour and the SNP are obviously quite keen just to battle it out on the left, even in a referendum campaign rather than an election
0: campaign. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I, I, clearly it, 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 it tend, doesn't tend to be my side of politics, but I just think both, both the Nationalists and Labour... After the referendum, if, if it's a no vote, if it's a no vote, are going to sit down and have a their campaign strategy meeting, and I think both of them are going to say the Nationals are going to say, well, our overriding strategy is we're going to try and be to the left of Labour, and Labour are going to sit down and say, do you know what? We're going to try and be to the left of the SNP, and that's how we're going to win, and that and that is, a, is a, has the potential to be, I suppose, quite an interesting dog fight and a cat fight. But actually, is it going to create good politics and good government? I'm not so sure.
1: I dare say if there were more Scottish Labour people like Kezia, then we might not be in this pickle in the first place. But uh, that's a different story. Well indeed. Okay, folks, that's all for us for this week. We will be back with a nationalist. Podcast 10
0: done. We we are officially in double figures. 10 out. See you later, folks. See you.